Okay, good evening, everyone. That looks like the longest this list has been so far. A lot of people here. I'm not here, actually. Most of them have finished already, but a lot of the logged in users, but of the meditators. Good, good evening. Broadcasting live September 4th, right? Third? Fourth? Third. Third. September 4th and UTC time. September 3rd, my time. 2015. Today I was away most of the day. Got up early this morning to go to the house. Some of you saw the pictures. I put up two flags. If you didn't, you put up this picture. There's the picture of the flags. There, you see that? That's the one flag in the window. And there's both flags. So the other flag is here. I got a bunch of books from Tim while I was putting the flags up. There's a knock on the door. And then I went out and found a box just in time. Oh, and that's something else. This is my one of my textbooks for university. There's the other one. That's the Thai, Thai version of the Thai Dhamma, Dhamma flag. Somehow this got turned upside down. I don't know how. But there's a bunch of stuff Over here and that's a bunch of stuff. And then I was off to Pearson International Airport to see my mother off to Europe. And then got a, got picked up in Burlington on my way back and whisked away to the funeral home. Last night we were at their house. Tonight we're at the funeral home. Tomorrow we go back to the funeral home. Uh, tomorrow morning they feed us. The family of the deceased is offering us breakfast and lunch and we're going back to the funeral home to uh, do some more blessings I guess chanting I had to give another talk tonight I tried to refuse because I said I just gave a talk to them last night I have nothing more to say but okay so I said some things And, gee, I hope he doesn't ask me to give a talk tomorrow. Two is really enough. One's really enough. And now I'm back, but I'm back late, so I apologize. Well, here on time, no? 
on time for the broadcast. So Robin, would you like to read for us, please? Sure. There are these six dangers of being addicted to drink. Decrease in wealth, increase in quarrels, ill health, loss of reputation, indecent exposure, and impaired intelligence. There you go. This is terribly serendipitous. Remember last night I was talking about going to the house and dry, pulling the driveway and they're all sitting outside drinking Heineken. It was fun last night. Tonight was a little bit different. Um, <laughs> the grandson of the deceased drove us there and drove us back and making small talk he was he, he, the he was uh, a novice when i first came to this monastery nine uh, to the year 2000 i knocked on the door asked to you know invited me in to talk and there was this little kid playing nintendo 64 in uh, in one of the rooms so he put it down and they both came out and they sat and talked with me and asked if I could stay there. I ended up staying at the, this monastery for a year, keeping the eight precepts, going to McMaster University, keeping eight precepts. But he was that was him. And so we're now just sort of reconnecting because he's totally disappeared from the monastery. Uh, and he has no clue about things like precepts, so he was asking about alcohol, and, and he was asking about, about when we went to sleep at night, and one of the monks said, midnight, and he said, I went to bed at 11, and then he said, what did he say, man, we drank a lot last night, he said, and I said, you drank a lot of water, and he said, no booze apparently a thing at a fun at a Buddhist funeral the Buddhists gets roaring drunk just because someone died you know it's like it makes you scratch your head why what who whoever gave them the idea that that would be a good idea at a funeral here we are talking, Just at, this is after I gave them this talk about the importance of doing good deeds, you know, doing cultivating wholesomeness on behalf of the deceased. I swear it goes in one ear and out the other. No one's really listening. That's why giving the talks is not so much fun, because they're not really listening. But then you think, you know, maybe one person in the audience is listening. That's often the case. People seem to think that drinking is somehow useful. There's a, I heard when I was in Thailand, someone said, you know, it's, it's really a no-brainer. Dogs know not to drink alcohol. What's, what's wrong with you? What makes humans so dumb that we drink something that even dogs know to avoid? And this idea that it's going to do something positive for us. 
It does, no? The pleasure comes from drinking, right? You drink and then you can forget about your worries and your cares for a while. What's the problem with it? One, decrease in wealth. Hell yeah, because you're not worried about your wealth. People go to bars and they spend five dollars on a little five dollars on a little glass of poison. You know, this little shot, it's about five dollars, isn't it? Or do they I guess depends. A beer, a bottle of beer, a bottle of fermented crap, five dollars. It doesn't even taste good. Well, eventually it does. Comes an acquired taste. Increase in quarrels, check, yep. I don't think I ever got in any fights. I I drank alcohol when I was a teenager. So I'm no saint. Ill health, check. Yeah. For various reasons. I mean the most obvious is oh, although they say some people say that it's good for you, you know, to have a little. But interestingly, you know, those people who say wine is good for you, even people who say beer is good for you. I don't know if people say that, but news news now is alcohol causes cancer. Did you hear this news? It's something new. Alcohol is linked to all sorts of cancers. Breast cancer, I think, was a big one. Loss of reputation, yep. <laughs> I remember one night in particular, one that I'll never forget. There was this 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 quote is taken from the Sigalawada Sutta, the discourse for lay people. So this is only one small, small section of the various things that you have to watch out for and why they're problematic. So this is in regards to drinking. It's a huge compendium of, of different important dhammas. And this is the one on alcohol. Um, and so it talks about loss of reputation, and getting in with the wrong crowd, right? Good friends, bad friends. And so that was the case here. I started, we started drinking, and then I got in with this this other guy who, you know, he seemed kind of fun, and he was having fun. And then he started taking me around to steal other people's alcohol. And so we went around and stole, not stole, but, well, yeah, stole. It was sitting around, and we started taking other people's and that wasn't it. Then we went around um, waking people up in the middle of the night, and he ended up stealing some people's things. And the point is, the next morning, <laughs> at a whole wall of hate, people, uh, the, the rest of the party, when they woke up in the morning, I was persona non grata. All my friends, these were all people who were, you know, generally good people, were now totally against me because of what I'd done. You know, just been a real jerk the night before. Totally, uh, and it was shameful. I felt ashamed. And then I ended up, and then I had to get up and uh, walk home. I had to hitchhike home, which would have been about, I don't remember now, how far is it away? From Little Current to Ice Lake. Uh, it's been so long, I can't even remember how long that is. about... 40 minute drive uh, and so I started walking, walking and held my thumb out you know, hung over feeling the effects, feeling the benefits of alcohol, 100% one car goes by, doesn't stop 
another car, it's hot, the sun is beating down, I'm walking. When you hitchhike, you also walk, right? Because I don't know why. I mean, it looks like you're actually trying to go where you're going. Finally, a car stops, and I'm like, oh, okay, finally something, you know, here I am feeling terrible about how, how awful I'd been, and people in the morning, had, you know, just tore into me. Okay, something's going to go right and walk up. I say, where are you going? I'm going to Ice Lake. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> it's, it's the other way. I had started walking the wrong direction. I was hitchhiking the wrong direction. It was probably one of the probably one of the worst days of my life that day. I didn't even end up getting all the way home. I got to Kagawang, which is another fifteen minutes or ten minutes away from Ice Lake. And uh, I think I I asked for some someone one of my family members to come pick me up. No, no one would come pick me up. That was a low. That was. And alcohol was at least partially to blame. Well, much to blame actually, because I wouldn't have acted like such a jerk otherwise. I'm not a jerk. I don't think I ever was. Well, maybe a little bit sometimes possible you see someone was talking to me to, to talking to me today the bus driver the go bus driver from McMaster University to uh, to Pearson he's from Peru and he was very interested I gave him my booklet and he was very interested in meditation he's got kids uh, and he was saying yeah, he was saying he was reading some Zen and they're talking about the interconnectedness of things, but they were talking about evil people, how evil people are a part of this world, and you are a part of this world, and I mean, this isn't exactly how we look at things, but he was saying, so when you hate them, you're also hating yourself, because they're you're part of the same system. But I said, well, you know, in our tradition, at least we understand that, you know, if you hate them, it's kind of hypocritical, because you also have those tendencies. You know, we think of ourselves as generally good people, but put us in the right situation. You know, you should never look down upon someone because you too could get could be in that situation. Loss of reputation. Indecent exposure, yep, been there, done that. And impaired intelligence. Yeah, there's uh, studies that show that alcohol corrupts your brain actually it kills brain cells um, they took brain scans I don't know how scientific it was but there was a study done where they took brain scans of people who were regular users of marijuana alcohol even caffeine and the brain looks different I don't know I mean it was one thing I don't even know if it was fake or real or what but still interesting Definitely, during the time that you're drinking, your intelligence is impaired. But I would say there's, it's arguable that there are long-term effects as well. Alcohol is just all around bad. It's what he doesn't mention here is the bad karma involved with, you know, all the things that you do when you're drunk. You're totally unconcerned with right and wrong. That's what allows you to be free and to not worry about, am I going to do something wrong? Say something wrong. It also impairs your ability to, to know right from wrong. Anyway, 
That's about all. There's other things I suppose I could say. It's been a long day, so maybe we'll do a few questions and hopefully we can end early today. We've got some questions. My 22-year-old daughter is addicted to drinking. What do you advise I do to help her, if anything? Talk to her. You know, it's important. Kids, this is another thing I talked to this uh, bus driver about is his kids. They sort of, you know, obviously I said, I don't have kids, so I don't, don't, you know, I don't really know. And I understand it's really tough to be a parent. But one thing I know is that kids listen to their parents. You always get angry at your kids because they don't listen to you. And that's not true. They do listen. And parents are, it's a power that you have that your kids listen to you and that they keep the things that you say, whether they yell at you or I get angry at you because of them or make throw a tantrum because of them, they listen. They hold what you say. I mean, generally, if they, for the most part, kids take what you say much more seriously. That's why they throw a tantrum. You know, they, If it's something they don't like, it, it's a very powerful reaction. So on the one hand, preaching and scolding and nagging can actually be harmful but simply teaching is invaluable priceless you know it could be 20 years 30 years down the road but they'll remember they'll still remember the things you've said so you have a responsibility to teach that's also in this sutta the one that we're taking this quote from the sigalavada sutta you have a responsibility to teach your children right right and wrong. It doesn't mean you have a responsibility to make them be good and not evil. That's up to them. If they don't listen, you can only do so much. And the only thing you get out of trying to force them is, is your own frustration. Because you can't force people. You can't force others to be the way you want them to be, even your children. It doesn't work that way. But you can teach, and you should teach. That's a big part of it. You know, if she's 22 years old, she's already an adult, and they would say capable of making her own decisions. It's hard at that point. You know, it's much better to get them when they're young and to be clear about these things when you're young. But at this point, you've probably, had probably to some extent, moved apart a little bit. You know, she's less dependent on you. But, you know, you should find nice ways and good ways to do things with her that encourage mindfulness. You know? uh, ultimately, it takes, it takes skill on your part. Dealing with children, working with children, it takes, you have to be power, you need power to do it. So you have to have the power of mind. It's the kind of thing that you get from meditation. If you're not meditating, no advice on how to deal with your kids is going to be terribly valuable because you're still going to, you know, your mind is not pure, you're still going to react. You can, and it just comes off as fake. You know, you say, oh, you should meditate or oh, you shouldn't drink alcohol. But like, unless it comes from a pure mind, it's not really powerful, it doesn't really affect them. 
What about wine bante or digestives or aperitifs taken in small amounts? Digestives and aperitifs contain herbs to provide benefits in eating and digestion. Bullocks. Take a digestive cookie. What a what a terrible excuse. Sorry, I mean I don't mean to be overly critical, but that's rubbish. And um, okay, so that was critical. I apologize, but I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the argument because that's a terrible argument. Any argument from health is like you're you're so worried about your health that you'd poison your mind or your brain anyway. You'd jeopardize your mental health for your body. I mean, any of those arguments can be can be discarded out of hand, but especially the digestive one. We, my 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 mother. My mother, um, when we went to France when I was younger, she got in with a Frenchman, and they, anyway, this was at one point my mother's boyfriend. And he came to Canada, and he was always boasting about French people and wine, and that wine was, you know, he was a, he was a, he worked in the vineyards of France, South France, sort of the French-Spanish uh, border, Banyul. No, what was it called? What was the area called? I don't know. Uh, anyway. And now he's boasting about, you know, how healthy it is, how good it is for you, and how important it is to drink wine and so on. Some years later, he died of pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. I think I told my father that or something. We were talking about it. And, and he said, oh, no, that wouldn't be related. I said, come on. Here's a guy who's pushing wine, and then his pancreas collapses. People just want arguments like that. There's apparently something in grape, grape skins that is good for you. So, okay, if that's a medicine, that's a medicine. It doesn't mean you have to ferment it and drink the alcohol. Alcohol causes cancer. This guy died of alcohol cancer. It's a new thing. It's on the news. But, but but the underlying point is, even if something is good for your your physical health, why in the world would you care more about your physical health than your mental health? That's the point. And then just a request. I'm watching the stream on YouTube. It's very out of focus. Is it possible to reset it? That looks better already. Does look better? It does, yeah. It was a little fuzzy before. Yeah, the camera, my camera can, you know, these things are weird the way they autofocus. Sometimes you have to refocus them or something. Now it's really fuzzy. Now it's fuzzy again? Yeah, yeah. Because I moved it? Or I'm what? not sure. It's It looks real fuzzy right now. Me or you? just me? No? Um, or you? It's actually freezing up a little bit as well and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Here's a no. I'm on auto HD. I'm gonna do auto HD. Yeah, I don't know. At the review phase after the first path, do I need to make any special resolutions for mastering the insight stages according to the book Practical Insight Meditation? 
by Mahasi in order to progress, or is it sufficient to keep practicing as before? Wow, that's quite the question. It's useful to make special resolutions for mastering the insight stages. That's what we do. That's We have actually a course designed for that. So after someone has finished the foundation course, we will um, take them through a course specifically designed to have them um, make determinations for each of the stages, beginning with Uddaya Bhayanyana and all the way up to Sankarupekanyana to arise. But that's pretty advanced stuff. I'm not sure. That's This is the sort of thing we should talk about in private, and I would only really want to discuss it with people who had finished the foundation course. Could you give advice to remain mindful during the day? Like some some secret secret trick. There's no trick, man. It's a habit. And you you cultivate it. And you always work at it. There was one monk, a, a Israeli monk he had, he was talking, he, he, he believed, a really good monk, awesome teacher, but he had these, he said we should think of tricks like tying a, you tie a string around your finger, and then every time you look at the string, you, you think to be mindful. But these sorts of things are crutches. Now, crutches are useful until you can walk, but in the long run, you can't rely on crutches. So I'm not criticizing what he said, I think it's a valid point. But that's for, in, for as beginners. So yeah, if you want to try those sorts of things, find tricks. The one guy, he had this watch that vibrated every five seconds. Some special watch that had a vi uh, you know, like a vibration thing inside. And every five seconds it would give him a little jolt. And he said that helped him be mindful. So uh, not to discount these things, but I think in the end it's, it's a crutch. And what that means is you become dependent, you become lazy. If you can't cultivate the, the intention to be mindful yourself, you're always going to be limited in your ability to be mindful. Yeah. It's not... I mean, that's my take on it. I would be cautious because, yes, it's not easy to be mindful, and that says something. That says that it, it the ability to be mindful... Um, is a powerful thing. And so that's what we want to cultivate. We want to be able to be mindful without any special trick. But to do that, you have to give up the idea that there's some special trick. I don't have an answer for you. Work at it. I mean, part of the answer is do an intensive meditation course. That makes it a lot easier. Do lots of med intensive meditation courses. Become a monk. Go live in the forest. Is it possible for a meditator to stay six years in meditation without eating or drinking? Oh, probably. Not in our tradition, though. No. We wouldn't let them. We'd scold them. Do, do you think cannabis holds some of the same dangers? I find the mental effects to be the exact opposite of alcohol, and many studies claim its medicinal benefits. Mm -hmm. 
exact opposite of alcohol would mean would, would that would mean I'm sorry I'm going to be really I've done all this before I spent an entire summer smoking hash oil with my older brother I would you know they had these little things of hash oil when I went to school in the fall it was a cloud I remember that September was because we stopped in September really we'd go back to school and it was just like school I remember school starting in a cloud every night so the exact opposite of alcohol would be that it makes you sober. It doesn't make you sober. It's really dumb. I mean, marijuana is really dumb. That's my best way of putting it. I mean, it makes you stoned. Stoned is a pretty good description, I suppose. You just kind of get stoned. I never saw the point, honestly. Even looking back, I think the reason why it... It, it's not as addictive as alcohol. I mean, there's other reasons, I suppose, but it's just kind of dumb. You, you become kind of... And you, have, you you start to... Some people philosophize. So I remember there were times where we would walk around and philosophize about things and think we were so awesome and wise and stuff. But we weren't. I'm reading, uh, I'm reading some of the philosophers, modern philosophers, Descartes, and Descartes, you know, disagree with him as you will. I mean, I totally don't. He was he was on some sort of, well, no. But he had his own ideas, totally not our ideas. But some of the axioms that he came up with, the premises that he used, and the clarity of mind required for that, you are not going to get that on, on, on marijuana, on any drug. You don't get that clarity, that, that scientific ability to like some of these things put them aside and take the buddha or either one you know any of these guys these guys were sober there's no question regardless of what monty python says those philosophers the, the, the sobriety that's required you can't get that from you, know, you couldn't sit down and write descartes meditations on you know, stone mm -hmm. let alone the Satipatthana Sutta, for example. Imagine what it would look. Imagine what Buddhism, the Buddha, the Tipitaka would look like. I'm sorry, I mean, we're not supposed to. This is kind of have to be careful. I don't want to say a joke about the Buddha, for example. But you know, imagine if someone wrote, tried to write, tried to explain Buddhism. Let's put it that way. Someone tried to explain Buddhism stoned. You'd end up with peanut butter sandwiches. I remember one night I was stoned and maybe a little drunk as well and got hungry because you get hungry when you take marijuana. It's a big thing. And I was at a friend's house. And so uh, me and a friend got this good, one, one of the people there got this good idea that we'd go raid the kitchen. And so we went across the yard and it's actually the same house where that horrible day happened. I had some crazy parties at that place. Uh, and we went into the kitchen, and I remember taking, we were putting the peanut butter on the bread, but then I looked at this knife covered in peanut butter, and I just stuck it in my mouth. And I remember spinning around in the, in the, in the kitchen, spinning around in circles with this knife, <laughs> this peanut butter covered knife in my mouth. Oh, that's stupid. But I was in bliss. This was, you know, people would say, oh, that's nirvana, right? It was. I mean, that was nirvana as far as I was concerned, which is stupid. I mean, it's really, really dumb. 
Sorry. We were talking about this in the car as well, about uh, marijuana, because now it's legal, right? And I said, well, that's a good thing. We shouldn't be arresting people for it. That's a bit ridiculous. But, you know, decriminalizing is good because then we can have an honest discussion. But it doesn't mean just because... I was One thing I was thinking about thinking about today was rights. People talk all about rights, but it's funny how as soon as you think you have a right to do something, you automatically jump to the assumption that you should do it. I mean, I think women should have a right to have an abortion. I just happen to think very strongly that they should not. I'm not a woman, and probably I'll get in trouble for even having an opinion on the subject, but why I think they should not? Because you're killing a, a living being. You know, there's a there's a mind there that is totally gung-ho. Yes, I'm starting my life up. I'm going, I'm going. And then you cut it off. It's not just your body that you're affecting. It's, they, say, they say it's my body. I should have the right to do what I want. That's that's rubbish. It's not your body anymore. You've, you've, you've given birth to something there that has its own body, its own right. I mean, that's a Buddhist point of view. But, but th that being said, I'm... You know, maybe that's pushing it a little bit too far, but for the most part, I'm I'm I believe people have a right and should have a right to 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 do these things, to do things, to act the way they they wish. Uh, and maybe that's going too far in this case. Maybe maybe it should be. Maybe there is an argument to be made. I'm not making it, but maybe there's an argument to be made that abortion should be illegal. I think that's probably going too far. People would say it's going too far because, um, you know, sometimes an abortion is the difference between life and death for the person. If it was me, you know, easy for me to say not being pregnant, but if it was me, giving up my life as a, as a Buddhist, has put me aside. As a Buddhist, giving up your life for someone else is a no-brainer. I mean, it's not easy to do, but it's definitely the Buddhist course of action. You know, in the case of rape, I don't think that's we, we wouldn't buy that defense because it's not the fault of the fetus that you were taken advantage of. Um, case where you're not capable of taking care of the child, okay, well that's a as a society that's something we could look at, and the Catholics are really good at trying to encourage adoption and that kind of thing. I understand. I mean, I hey, it's a it can be traumatic. It's a real big thing, and I don't think many people have abortions. Uh, you know, just for fun, and it, it's usually a very difficult decision people make. Still, I think people miss the point when they say it's my body; I can do what I want. It's not your body anymore. It never was your body. You know, there's no you, but there's two minds involved here. Not just your mind that is suffering and that needs to relieve its suffering. There's another being that you're going to make suffer anyway. Uh, but the point was that to some extent think things should be legal. I think making things illegal, abortion aside, um, marijuana, is interesting, you know. Maybe it should be illegal. Maybe alcohol and drugs should be illegal in a Buddhist society. But you see, it doesn't work. The point, the, the point of the thinking is, when you make something illegal, it, uh, it becomes more problematic, right? I mean, anyone will tell you that decriminalizing marijuana is is going to be awesome for society. You know, it's going to make it less profitable to grow drugs. 
and so there's going to be less um, potentially less drug addiction certainly less crime yeah? and not just marijuana based crimes but drug based crimes but also violent crimes as people you know fight over turf and so on like that but the point the underlying point was that just because people should have a right just because you have a right to do something is in no way indicative of whether you should do something that was the point I was trying to make regardless of all the rest of that stuff should be illegal I don't know those are questions that are far more complicated should something be illegal is a question for society I think I'll have to leave that one alone but the point I wanted to make uh, people are going to go crazy once marijuana is uh, legal maybe not crazy but there's going to be a lot more recreational use there will be people who would have never thought to take it will start using it for recreational purposes that's I think guaranteed you know, people will say oh no it, it'll work the other way I don't know why it would work the other way but maybe there are reasons why it'll become less interesting but it won't it's going to become more interesting then you can make the argument that it's better than alcohol okay I think I'd even buy that uh, that argument but only because alcohol is ridiculously terrible it's poison doesn't mean that marijuana is good yeah that's another fallacious argument right that's a false dichotomy alcohol is bad I know marijuana is better than alcohol therefore it's good mm -hmm. it's, it's a false reasoning Marijuana is good for your health, therefore it's good. Again, we fall into this fallacious reasoning, you know, holding our, our physical physical well-being above our mental well-being. I stand by my, by my point. You couldn't have written any of these philosoph philosophical treaties sober. There's too much in there. Just reading, I'm just, I haven't even gotten into the writings of Descartes. Just reading the introduction. I don't agree with the things that he's saying, but the complexity of it and the, the amount of thought that Descartes put into his meditations is uh, is impressive these guys were thinking they weren't using their iPad iPhones yeah that's a maybe that's going too far but I think that I think the chat box has exploded on this one well, at least people who are complaining that you're out of focus, at least you're back in focus now. That's a plus. It is. Would it be possible for you to give advice on meditation practice during review phase for someone who followed your meditation instructions in private without having attended your foundation course? And if so, how can I contact you in private? Someone has followed my practice... Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't accept that you've reached review stage, review phase. Even if you have, I can't accept it because I'm not the Buddha. I can't just know that you have. So, for technical purposes, you have to go through the foundation course before we're willing to go over that. It's very easy to mislead yourself. Not saying that you are, but I can't accept your word for it. I'm sorry. That's our policy. Well, that's my policy. Pretty sure it's my teacher's policy as well. What about coffee? Should we really be dumping this as well as an impediment to seeing reality clearly? Coffee's a little different. It doesn't affect your mind so much. I, mean, I don't know. It affects different people differently, apparently. For me, it just makes me feel really good. 
and hyperactive and and horrible it gives me a horrible body feeling my body just feels like it's vibrating in a bad way like it's it's my skin is crawling almost and and uh, very difficult to settle down no it's just physical that part's just physical but it's a very strong sort of almost tension in the body um but that doesn't seem as uh, as intense. You know, yeah, that's a drug and it's doing something. I don't advocate drinking coffee. I advocate, at least during a meditation course, giving up coffee. But I don't drink coffee. Once in a while, they try to give us coffee every day here, but sometimes I'll have a small... I tried to start getting them to bring me decaf. Decaf? What is decaf? Ice cup? Because <laughs> here they have these ice cappuccinos. Ice cap? No, decaf. Decaf. Decaffeinated. But, um, you know, you could argue that coffee is a stimulant, and for some people that's important for their work. So, okay, you know, that's... I kind of buy it because I don't see that coffee is a real strong drug. It just is, for the most part, a stimulant. It gives you energy doesn't make you start postulating wacky philosophies like yeah doesn't make you spin around in a room with a knife of peanut butter in your mouth doesn't make you act like a jerk is enlightenment a permanent state Yes. It's not exactly a state. It's a permanent, you could say, classification. Someone who has become enlightened doesn't ever become unenlightened. Yeah, the problem if something you're making something illegal, but it's a complex issue. I think you probably would have to lean towards making things. But then the question is, what do you make illegal and what do you make legal? So abortion, I think, is pretty clearly something that you should not make illegal. Uh, drugs and alcohol, probably the same, just because practically speaking, right? Murder, murder, I think, pretty much should be illegal, right? Uh, but it's there's an interesting philosophical question as to what should be illegal. If you take from a Buddhist point of view, allowing people their freedom to to follow their own path, right? Not trying to control other people. So then you build a Buddhist society. It's quite complex. Is How do you build a Buddhist society where you need to have law and order to some extent? And you have to deal with people who are on various stages of the path. I mean, monks have rules. For us, it's illegal, you could say, to take drugs or alcohol. That's just, uh, you know, but what it means, it's you don't get put in jail if you do it. You just have to confess it. So maybe we have we need a different form of legal system, right? Like some of the European legal systems are different, or the First Nations legal system where they have restitution and they do a healing circle and the Hawaiian legal system. Could just be that our legal system is flawed. You know, maybe abortion should be illegal. It's just I'm not saying it should, but 
take as an example because if you take it as a Buddhist principle that killing living beings, even fetuses, is is immoral. Uh, maybe it should be. You know, you could you could postulate that make this sort of thing illegal, and then the person who does it, in, this is something that we have to address. You know, maybe help them, ask them, are they suffering from it? I don't know. It's a lot to think about. Probably still doesn't work for abortion, but it might work for drugs and alcohol. Someone takes takes alcohol, goes out and gets drunk. So then you have some healing circle to help ask them, why did you take alcohol? Why did you feel the need to take alcohol? And then you address that, you know? That's you know there are different ways of of making things illegal and working through them. Buddhism, if you commit a serious offense, you get put on probation and you have to go. It's kind of like prison, I suppose, but it's restorative and um, you know healing, ideally. How many hours per day does an advanced Theravada Buddhist practitioner pass in meditation? That depends on them. The advanced meditator is constantly mindful, is constantly reminding themselves and cultivating the practice, even when they're not doing walking or sitting. A truly advanced meditator doesn't need to do walking or sitting. They can be walking down the street and be mindful, walking, walking. When the emotions arise, they can be mindful of it. Depends on the person. It depends on the day. depends on the situation. What is this? Many meditators all over the world use marijuana. Well, they're not following the Buddhist teachings. Sure, many meditators around the world have, have groups, group orgies. I mean or do all sorts of things. Don't buy it. It's bad. Marijuana, no good. No good, sorry. All the stuff you think you're getting from it, power to you, but you have you are now outside the outside of the owada of, of me. You know, this is what we say in, in Thai, I think. Yunai owat means to be within the realm of my instruction. I say don't do it, you're doing it, you're outside. So that's just fine. I mean, you, I'm not God, but you'll never get me to believe that there's anything good comes from marijuana use. I did mushrooms. Now you want to talk about interesting mushrooms. Psilocybin is an interesting drug. And I think you could make an argument there. Marijuana, I don't get it. Marijuana just makes you dumb. But uh, psilocybin is interesting. Apparently psilocybin suppresses brain activity. They did a study on this. And by suppressing brain activity, it's the exact opposite of what you would think. You'd think that it would it must be creating some wacky brain activity that's causing you to have all these hallucinations and fanciful ideas about reality and so on. But no, it's actually by repressing brain activity, it the argument you could make or the, the theory you could postulate is that it's freeing the mind from the body. And I still I still don't advocate psilocybin. But or D, you know DMT is another one I guess that they say shoots the mind rocketing out of the body and you just enter into all sorts of wacky states. So those ones are more interesting. Still wouldn't recommend them and I wouldn't buy any argument that they they 
I've said this before, and to some extent they can help to open your mind up to different possibilities. Open your mind up to the possibility of you know, astral travel, for example, or other realities, other ways of looking at reality. Sure, I can get that. But it's corrupt, and you can feel that it's a drug, it's artificial, it's convoluted, it's mixed up with all the delusions that you hold, etc. There's no reason to do it. You want that? Do it the hard way. Do it the honest way. Sit down and practice meditation. You'll learn all about reality, all the different alternative kinds of reality. You can leave your body, you can read people's minds, you can do it all, but it's it's clear, it's honest, it's pure. This is not pure. These drugs are not pure. I've done them. I never did LSD, so I can't comment on that. But the rest I've done. So, you know, you don't agree with me? That's fine. The world is a big place. You can go meditate your way. You want to meditate with music in the background, smoking marijuana, do as you like. Have tantric sex. It's a big world. Room enough for all of us. After reading Venerable Akaria's Akaria Moon's biography and listening to one of your talks the other day, in which you elaborated on the corruption of some modern-day monasteries, I have a simple question for you. As one who'd like to ordain, where may I find a place where I may practice Buddhism as opposed to a place where I practice someone's conception of Buddhism? Good question. If I knew, you know, if only I knew. It's not really, I can't really answer that question. I don't know. I mean, I, I understand where that question's coming from, but it's not really a fair question. I mean, I, I, power to you for asking it. There's not criticizing you asking it, but it I'm sorry that it doesn't work because, you know, it's cheating kind of. It's not easy. I guess the answer is it's not easy. Finding such a place, it's a real challenge. Do they exist? I think they do. But you're going to have to find them yourself. I can't help you cheat. I can't give you the answer. I went. You know what I did. I, but I uh, was staying in Thailand and I contacted Wat Banana Chat, right? This place that everyone goes to. But some reason I think it was too far away. It was like, you know, I'm going all the way to Northeast Thailand and this was in the year 2000. Or yeah, this was 1999 still. But then. Uh, well, it was easier because there was this guidebook. But this guidebook had this little blurb about a monastery that was actually quite close to where I was staying. But, but okay, take as a on a bigger scale. I dropped out of high school in the middle of my school year, purposefully losing all the credits. You know, that's something. You know, I did that. I tried to find, I didn't even know Buddhism. I didn't even have Buddhism at that time. So I was thinking of going to do ayahuasca with the, with the guys in Central America or wherever they were, wherever I could find them, you know, Don Juan, Carlos Castaneda, that kind of thing. Um, I even, they, my, my roommates, you know, I was talking about this so much that they even got me a Spanish-English dictionary. As I said, I'm going to go to Central America or South America or wherever. I don't, still don't know where. Ecuador, maybe. Um, but dropped out of school, and I went to the library and started researching all sorts of stuff, the Kabbalah. I read Umberto Eco's book, uh, Foucault's Pendulum, which is a really neat book. It's fiction, but 
uh, it has an interesting message to it, something that's resonated with me to this day. I recommend reading it if you're interested in the idea of, of the occult and cults and how everyone thinks they've got the answer and all this new age stuff. Anyway, and then I, I got on a plane by myself and flew to Thailand. Of course, my uncle lived in Thailand, so that made it easier. But when I was in Thailand, the plan was to go on to China or Japan and just find a monastery. I was really just one-way trip almost. And then I just happened upon this monastery nearby, but I went there on my own, got on a bus, showed up at the monastery with just a little bag. I purposefully left all any belonging travel stuff I had, most of the stuff. In fact, when the teacher, when he saw that's all you brought, he was kind of critical because I hadn't brought enough stuff to stay. Uh, but I showed up and I just walked into the monastery without a clue and I started asking the novices. I learned Thai. For this specific purpose, I was studying Thai, just basic phrases. And so I went up to them and I said, Paktini Dai Mai. And they didn't understand at first just because it was a shock that I was, but I said it fairly well. I think Paktini Dai Mai. They said, that means Pak, Pak means rest or stay. Tini means here. Dai Mai means can I. So can I stay here? <laughs> and they said, no, no, you can't stay here. There's a hotel down the street. And they said in Thai, hotel, hotel. Uh, and so I turned around and I walked out the actually I think I I first went and watched the people in the in the hall they were doing chanting and then they they finished their chanting and then they got up and they started walking but the way they were walking was really weird like they would lift their foot it was like almost like they were dancing and actually it's funny because some monks, some people actually get go overboard with it, and it actually does look kind of weird. But either way, you know, walking meditation to someone who's never seen it before looks weird. But I, you know, wasn't turned off. I just, this is all new. This is trying to explain to you the sort of the experience of actually going and finding a place. Uh, and but but then I asked. I think I asked a monk as well. That's right. The novices said no. And so I walked over to the hall. I was, I was, you know, it was getting late in the evening. The sun was going down, and so I didn't know what I, what I was going to do. And so then, then I walked over to the hall, and they then they finished. They did their sitting meditation, and then they came out. And I talked to a monk who spoke a little bit of English, I think, actually, maybe not, but maybe a couple of words. I said, "Paktini dai mai," and he said, "No, no." He was the one who told me about the hotel. I think that's how it worked. And so then I turned around and started walking into the sunset. Like it really was. I was walking into the sunset. The sand floor of the monastery walking towards the... You can imagine like totally defeated. And then just so happened, there was this Bangladeshi monk. One of them was a Bangladeshi who spoke quite good English. And he called me back. He said, hey, hey, are you looking to practice meditation? I said, yes, that's what I'm here for. And then he took me to the to the behind the monastery, which is where the meditation center was. And that's what started me off. So the the, the point is, that it was it was a bit of a risk taking, and uh, not chastising you, but I'm just trying to explain that uh, it's not really something you can find in a directory because. Imagine I give you a place, it might not work for you, you know, and it might, I don't know. I hear about good places, 
I could give you uh, hints. I don't really think it works that way. You have to go. If you want to find a place like that, go. And then on top of that, the problem is you might get there and you might not find a place that is suitable. I've, so it's, it's kind of depressing. I don't really have a positive answer for you there. I mean, I make, it, I make this long and convoluted answers because I guess the short answer is I don't know that there is such a place. I don't know that you're going to find such a place because I think we always think the place is out there. How am I going to find that perfect place? That place not, might not be out there. You might never find such a place. That's one of the real shocking things about Buddhism for me has always been. Because we always, we always think things are going to work out in the end, right? We think it's like a movie. We've been, we watch so many Hollywood movies that we think life is going to work out. We've been indoctrinated through Christianity, through uh, the, this, um, this myth that everything happens for a reason, that there's an order, logic, and it's all going to work out. That's not true. You could, you could go to go to, you could go to hell. In the end, your life could become hell. You could die and be born in a state of loss. That could happen to any one of us here, you know, except for those who have attained nibbana, who have become sotapanna or higher. But still, in this life, put aside the next life. In this life, any one of us could get run over by a car tomorrow. That could happen. It's not going to work out for the best. But, but no. But more scary than that is the fact that if you don't work, there's no guarantee that one day you're going to become enlightened. That's scary. Until you attain sotapanna, there's no guarantee ever. There's no guarantee that you will ever gain. You know, you might never, you might lose Buddhism. This might be your last chance. This might be the last life in which you ever meet with Buddhism. Not likely. I don't want to scare you too much, but the point that needs to be made that there is no ultimate reassurance. And that's scary. So that should lead us all to scrabble, to grasp what we can, right? You may not find the perfect spot, and that should also open us up to be a little more um, understanding. And I think that's in the context of your question, that's a fair statement to make, because we often are too critical. And we shouldn't be. I mean, I'm living with monks. We argue in the car. What was he saying? What did he say about money? He was asking about... Uh, are monks allowed to hoard money? I said, no, monks aren't allowed to touch money. He said, well, you don't touch... He said, but then why do we give money to the monks? And why do the monks accept money? I said, I don't accept mon money. And the other monks are laughing at me. The, the monk in the front seat is laughing because... You know, it's a bit of a, it's a contentious issue. But the great thing about being with the Cambodian people, Cam Cambodian people are pretty awesome because they're, they're, they're quite open. They're not non-judgmental. It's a neat, for the most part. I mean, people are people, but it's easy to live. They're easy to live with. You, you, there's a, some cultures, if you don't toe the line, completely, you know. To down to the color of your robes, you can't exist. You 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 you're ostracized. You're run out of town. Other cultures, uh, everyone 
can be different, can have different ideas, debates arise, arguments arise, but in the end, to each their own. I prefer the latter, and we've got that here, sort of. So, point being, uh, you don't have to find the perfect spot. You have to find a place that's useful and helpful. Find a place where you can learn meditation. That's, you know, remember, you, you, you wait for the perfect spot, you might lose the only chance that you have. Chance might not be perfect. So I'm, I don't know exactly what I'm advocating. I'm not saying anything in particular. But the attitude might be important. I mean, it'll help you not to worry so much, not to put off practicing just because you haven't found the perfect spot. Can you suggest a resource to locate an intensive meditation course in my own area? And the area is around New Jersey. New Jersey, there's a nice center uh, on Long Island. That's close to Long Island, isn't it? Not yes. that close, I guess. Yeah. Well, parts of it are. There's a nice place, but no, nothing. Actually, New Jersey, if you look up New Jersey, Mahasi, I think there's a place. Mahasi, New Jersey. Yeah, the America Burma Buddhist Association and Meditation Center. Go to mahasiusa.org. It's all in Burmese, so good luck. But there's your trouble. Learn a little bit of Burmese. It's at 63 Gordon's Corner Road, Manalapan Township, New Jersey. So there's one I'd recommend. You see, I can be helpful. But, but I don't know. I mean, it might be useless. These monks might be... For, I bet I bet they tell you they don't teach people who don't speak Burmese. I don't know. That's 50-50, I suppose. But that's probably not true. At this point, I bet that's not true. But uh, for, for a while, I was, it was, seemed pretty clear that they were only doing Burmese stuff. I've heard that doing Samatha Jhana is emphasized in Mahasi Sayadaw tradition post first path in order to quicken progress in insight. Is this true? If this is the case, can Jhana be done using metta as an object? Does alternating between Samatha Jhana practice and insight practice help quicken process compared with continuing with dry insight meditation practice as before? No, I don't think that's true. I mean, Samatha meditation is, is looked upon with, is praiseworthy, and it's praised by Mahasi Sayada, so there's nothing wrong with practicing Samatha. Sure, it can probably help. I guess the question that I've asked before is whether it's worth it, whether the time that you put into the Samatha practice couldn't be better off put into simply practicing Vipassana. I think the answer is it's probably much more comfortable to include Samatha meditation, but I would guess it's it's slower. I would guess it's faster if you just stick to Vipassana. It's just not as comfortable. But I don't have any particular reference for that. 
Okay, so they're saying Descartes smoked pot. Well, that's probably why he got it all wrong, but uh, I think this is a ridiculous claim that he was... was a dealer and a toker. Amsterdam is the place to be for that. Whatever. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I guess I could... Um, I would argue that any any influence cannabis had on a person's thinking would warp it. That's my argument. That's the argument I was trying to make. So if Descartes was able to come up with the neat things that I think exist in his teachings, I argue would argue that it came in spite of the fact that he took marijuana. I suppose I shouldn't go so far because you could argue, there could be the, you could show me that marijuana somehow stimulates certain aspects of the brain. So if you could argue that, go for it. I took a lot of marijuana and hash oil, which is far more potent. But it's the same thing, basically. Um, I never got anything out of it. Look at me, look how stupid I am. No, no. you compare that period of life. In my mind, I, I compare that period of life and the period after, it's night and day. You know, it, it really makes it hard to, made, made it hard to think for me. I mean, it. I guess it got me through the teenage years somewhat. Otherwise, maybe I would have been suicidal. I don't know. But not really. No, it didn't make life any more fun or easier to deal with. I don't know. It's an argument we could have. It's something we could talk about. Again, I guess you have to say that substances, physical substances are complex. And some some argument could be made that certain substances like ginkgo or uh what are these ones ginkgo and ginseng maybe i don't know some of these are brain foods right that actually are supposed to be good for the brain so you could argue for those ones i don't feel that marijuana is maybe if you ate marijuana i'd be more but i don't know well, people do that too they make brownies and things yeah i mean that's what this guy from health canada he recommended eating marijuana Apparently that gives you more of a body buzz. I think I had some hash brownies once. I can't remember. I can't remember. But uh, I don't buy it. I, I, I buy the argument that a substance could potentially support brain activity and therefore make it easier to think. Okay, I'll buy that. But I won't buy that marijuana is the one. I, I don't see it. So it's just, that's just, it's not even a really useful argument because that's just an opinion. I don't have, I only have my own experience and the experience of those people I've seen on this drug to go by. But I've never seen anything really that strikes me today as useful or profound in any way come from it. I think it makes people silly and come up with silly ideas. Hmm. But I think that's, I want to say that that's specific in my mind to marijuana. So I think drugs, I guess the, argu the argument I would make is drugs have to be, have to be approached on a case-to-case -case basis. For the most part, if they alter your mind, I would say you're barking up the wrong tree. 
Because what we need is a clear mind. Our mind is fine as it is. You don't need these things to see. They're not going to help you see clearly. You, you are perfectly in the perfect position to see clearly without them. Anything you could add to that? Except, I would say, the, the, the... But even then, you know, anytime you alter... The point, the, the, an important point is when you alter, consciously alter reality, the intention to consciously alter reality, it's like what Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. You're, by, by intending to alter reality, you've already messed up, right? Regardless of the effect that the drug has, the intention to alter reality is already approaching reality from the wrong point of view. You're approaching it from the point of view of control, of change, of being in, in charge. And that's a no-no from a Buddhist point of view. So, I'm going to do this and it's going to help me see better. You're, 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 you're fundamentally flawed in your thinking when you do that. That's the argument. Anyway. That's a good good argument because it's apropos of the quote, right? So today we talked a lot about, or I talked and you listened, and you argued with me in the comments about uh, drugs. It's a good argument. So what we should do, someone who is a proponent should come on here. Oh, no, I don't want to have an argument like that. We should talk to someone. You know who I'd like to get on here? Oh, if we could get him. I've been in conversation with him. What's his name? Have any of you read Memoirs of an Addicted Brain? Now that's a book. He's Canadian. And he writes on this blog, and I made some comments for a while there, and he actually responded to them. So we were in a conversation. So we know he, he knows me a little bit. But his book is really interesting. So you want to talk about drugs. Uh, more addiction, I suppose, but uh, really useful book to read, I think. I found it quite useful. When he's got a new one, The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease. should read it. He's done almost every drug there is, this guy. But if we can get him on here, I should get him on here talking about his new book. I wonder if he'd come on. That would be a real coup for us. Because he's pretty neat. Maybe once we're a little more famous. We'll have to our show will have to get famous first. Once everyone's talking about it and it becomes a household word. Siri Mongolo presents. No, what do we call it? Any more questions? Yes. What is your view on the Theravadan claim that the devas protect one who practices metta bhavana? What kind of protection is this? Well, they they favor that person, and because they favor that person, they tend to want to help that person. You know, devas are apparently, by and large, self self uh, centered, selfish. I guess you could even say, but let's say self-centered. No offense, but um, it's because you know there's so, so much pleasure up in heaven. So 
it's not like they stand around all day watching this person, but they do apparently meddle to some extent in human affairs to the extent that they're able, to the extent that their realm of existence is able to interact with our realm of existence. They do apparently engage. Uh, what form does it take? I don't know. Um, how maybe pushing good things in their direction. I mean, apparently real things do happen. Like they find buried treasure and leave it on your doorstep, that kind of thing. But never heard of that actually happening in modern times. I don't know. How do angels protect humans? It's a good question. In what ways do they actually do it? It's an interesting one. You could at least argue that they protect them from evil evil spirits. So they keep Mara from getting from whispering in their mind, whispering in their ears. Mara comes here and they say, Back off, this guy's a Buddhist. Okay, we've gone over time. An hour is our time, so we've gone over time. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Robin, for joining me. And tomorrow, plug for our new talk show, right? Tomorrow we have a guest speaker, Ali Ishtari, Ash Ashtari, from Winnipeg, uh, author of Meditation in Persian speaks perfect english well he's got a he's got a clear accent but he speaks very good english and he's just an all-around nice guy so bring your questions about what bring your questions about the people he's really he knows a lot about people like sam harris um richard dawkins the skeptic movement if you know anything about the western skeptic movement in north america at least I don't know in Europe, but in North America there's this skeptics group. So if you have any any interesting questions or comments about them, or you'd like to talk to Ali about them, he's been quite involved with the skeptics, and he's got some interesting insights into their group. So, but most importantly, just come respectful, being let's be courteous and respectful to our first guest, and let's listen to what he would be willing to say for uh, say to us it's too bad we couldn't get a gift for everybody no everybody who comes on we get them some small gift maybe we can get them an e-gift e certificate from the organization we should think about that just as a token you know it's not like he needs it but so you know he gets people a gift when they come on your show usually people get paid for that kind of thing right but no, not us. Okay, good night. So, see you all tomorrow, same time, same place. Uh, Robin, we never talked about the important thing. Robin has stuff to say, no? Do you want to say it now? Oh, the campaign. Yeah, well, we should mention it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was a 
wonderful day for our online campaign. We started it with um, a goal of, I think we originally started it with a goal of 6,000 and then realized that we would need 8,000 because the homeowners wanted four months of rent and all at once. And um, in just 24 days, the online campaign raised the $8,000 for the four months of rent, which is fantastic. It's wonderful, generous, generous people in this community. Very nice to see. So that Personally, was a, a I can't thing. comment on it. I, I can't comment on money. I don't think. See, it's, the money's not going to me, so maybe I can. Anyway, I guess I will because it's not going to me. But yeah, um, wow. It's really, this is really something. Never seen this sort of thing before. It's a sign that we are, this is real. This is, a, we're a real community. Yes. Is, you know, there's there's that difference between wishing and wanting and, and trying to make a community and actually having people who who are doing, you know, and, and helping and joining. Definitely. It's very easy, you know, when you're watching something on the internet to just sit and watch and take and not really be involved or be part of it or, or help out or support. So it's just so nice to see our internet community just really supporting this. It's awesome. So we didn't close the campaign. We're keeping it open because the reality is um, about $2,000 is needed for each and every month. And we like to sustain the monastery for the whole first year that it's going to be in operation, um, you know, while things are getting established. So the campaign is still open and will continue to be in case anybody else is interested in supporting it. Yeah, there was the idea that we may not need the campaign itself and because our website is already maybe we just need to set up a campaign on the website the problem is there's sort of the, there's the middleman and they encourage you to give them money as well which you know power to them but well they that's optional though that's that's something i, I can know, explain um you have to click on it and no one thinks to click on it so yeah it's uh, sure if you don't if you say no i don't want to give them company anything then... you, you can opt out of that yes yeah. but no. Maybe we yeah, but maybe we need some coders to hop on our site and or at least to help us make our own campaign page because it's you know they're not doing us yeah. any favors. It's a you have a PayPal link. It's just basically a PayPal link, right? Yeah. And the the ability to share the page. So you put little share buttons like we have we have them on this page, right? At the bottom, share this page and help. Like so. Yes. It, and that, mm -hmm. that website actually is just using add this as well, so it's quite easy to do. Just we need people to do these things. Anyway, so awesome. Our inauguration, for those of you, if, if if any of you haven't heard, uh, we're having the inauguration on the 20th because uh, Ajahn Tong, this guy, yeah, that monk, mm -hmm. his birthday is on the 21st of September. So we're having it for his birthday. Unfortunately, the 21st is a Monday, so we're having it on the 20th. Potluck lunch. I don't really expect many people from here to come, but um just thought it let everyone know.
that that's our official move well official inauguration date i'm moving in i'm moving in and sort of sort of this weekend no robin you're coming this weekend no yes already that time of year yes uh so this weekend but i still am not moved moved in moved in because it's the rains and actually i have to still be living here which is good because they feed me here so that's another thing if people want to help feed me that's the one thing that i can't uh, go without i could try no but, that's not a good idea you don't you don't have much reserves there probably uh, wouldn't last very long no you wouldn't last six years like the other yeah. question about a meditator meditating for six years with no food. Um, Tina put a nice link on the on the uh, volunteer page, on the Facebook volunteer page, showing all the restaurants and different food places in your new area in case anybody would like to we, send an e-card. Are we going to have a, a volunteers page on our website? Could we make a new page? We should. Yeah. Yeah, we should because a lot of people aren't crazy about using Facebook, so. Yeah. And it's more official, you know, having it on our site. But that means someone has to do it. So it's a good topic for the volunteer meeting. I mean, really the website needs a lot of updates and and as we get more official, we need to really flush it out, I think. It's the difference between a one one monk band and an orchestra. Anyway. I think you have some good interested people that came yeah. to the last meeting, George and Doug, and hopefully they can work together and do something great. Yeah, we can make them. Well, I, we have to be careful. We don't want to give too many people keys, but yeah, I mean, we know these people, right? Now? Mm -hmm. The one thing is, you know, as meditators, we, we want to be... I like to have people who have finished the course, who have finished the foundation course. Right now we don't have too many of those. So I guess I'd like to encourage volunteers to do that. It makes it easier to, you know, we're more, we're more on the same wavelength, you know. So everyone should, uh, we should look for that. Like I, this has caused problems in Winnipeg. We had a board of directors and I could see that there was some differences of opinion. So I said, I want a board of directors who, have fit, who all have finished the foundation course. Which meant that none of the none of the board of directors could stay, and that wasn't that didn't turn out to be such a well. It got me back to Ontario in the end. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you all for your support and interest and practice. Most importantly, is this awesome list of meditation we have here. People putting out the real work to become free from suffering and no more than a good night thank you Bhante good night